Welcome to the Immigration Hour today. Uh, it is great to be with you. This is your host, Charles Cook. I've been thinking about what it is we could be talking about uh, in light of the COVID crisis. You know, we haven't had a really detailed podcast in quite some time. Uh, and the reason for that is because we've been going crazy with the COVID stuff at the office and really haven't had time uh, to sit down and focus on uh, some of the things that are going right and some of the things that uh, are going wrong uh, during this, this COVID event. So I wanted to take some time today and uh, see kind of where we are, see what uh, we could be doing, uh, and uh, perhaps to focus a little bit on uh, what, we, what we see coming down the road. Obviously, the biggest news that has come out uh, since the COVID crisis is uh, President Miller and President Trump's desire to use uh, the COVID-19 crisis as a reason to restrict legal immigration to America. Now, what they've done in uh, the, the proclamation, again, not an executive order, uh, but a proclamation from the president, uh, which basically orders the Department of State, not the Immigration Service, but the Department of State under Section 212F and 215A of the Immigration Nationality Act, uh, to suspend the entry of anybody to the United States uh, who uh, is a legal immigrant in the categories of parents of U.S. citizens, adult married and unmarried children of U.S. citizens, and unbelievably spouses uh, and children, both minor and ad- adult single children, of permanent residents. Uh, it is the first step in what Miller and Trump have tried to do in Congress uh, since 2017. If you recall, there was a deal on the table uh, for Trump's wall to be fully funded. And in return, the only thing in return the Democrats got was uh, DACA, green cards for DACA kids. That was it. That was it. That was the straight up trade. And uh, Trump said, no, I want you to suspend all family-based immigration. And they said, no, we're not going to suspend family-based immigration. So uh, there is, fortunately, a legislative history on the legislature rejecting, our Congress specifically rejecting, exactly the types of people that Trump is now trying to let into, it's trying to bar from coming to the United States. And look at the people that he has exempted as well from, from this. Um, in that any permanent resident in the United States can come back. Anybody immigrating through work, if that work is in health care, um, any individual under the EB-5 Immigrant Investor Program, we could just laugh about that all day long. I mean, clearly we know why that's going on. I just talked to Jared. Um, spouses of U.S. citizens, uh, children under 21 of a U.S. citizen, uh, and... Um, there's also exceptions for armed forces members and their spouses and children, special immigrants uh, in regards to the translators from Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, and uh, any, any, quote, any foreign national whose entry would be in the national interest as determined by the Secretary of State. Yeah, good luck with that. That means employment-based, EB-3, EB-2, EB-1 immigrants are all shut out if they're outside the United States. And this is actually really important uh, for us to understand uh, that this does not apply to people inside the United States. 
So if you are in the United States, um, you can still go through the green card process. You still have the ability to file your adjustment of status. You still have the ability to um, uh, uh, obtain your permanent residence. And that's because sections 212F and 215A of the Immigration Nationality Act specifically give the president at least authority to bar the entry of individuals um, into the United States. For example, in section 212F, and it's really important to take a look at this so you can get a better understanding of what the president's limited authority in this area is. Now, I know you don't have to get on me. I know what Justice Roberts said in the Trump versus Hawaii decision. I mean, it, it's quite clear that, uh, uh, that, uh, Pres- uh, that uh, uh, Justice Roberts thinks that uh, there is uh, um, um, a great deal of latitude in the, uh, in the part of the president in, uh, uh, let's say, limiting immigrant entry into the United States. But that Trump versus Hawaii was based upon a very narrow set of facts on a third iteration of, of uh, Trump's Muslim ban, um, and which only suspended for 90 days, uh, although this was, decision was long after 90 days was up, uh, it was over a year and change after, the, after it was up. So... Uh, this would be the June 14th, so about a year later, um, president restricted this travel. And um, as a result, this decision uh, by, by, uh, uh, by Justice Roberts is, well, there, and there are three decisions here. There's, of course, a, a concurring and there's a, 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 um, an opposite uh, dissent. Uh, but it is... Uh, Here, in 212F, listen to what Robert says. In short, the language of of 1182 or 212F is clear, and the proclamation does not exceed any textual limit on the president's authority. Now, that's an interesting statement, because what is the president's authority in Section 212F of the Immigration Nationality Act? Now, every, every immigration law in America knows 212 deals with inadmissible aliens, who is not admissible to the United States. And there's a whole litany of health, uh, criminal, uh, uh, security, uh, terrorist, uh, foreign policy, uh, um, criminal grounds, public charge grounds, uh, labor certification grounds, illegal entrance, um, uh, people ineligible for citizenship, those previously removed, a long litany, including practicing polygamists, um, of all the folks uh, that are um, here on this list. And so you, you go through who's here, you know, who can get in, who can't get in. And finally, you get down to F. Now, F is the shortest paragraph in 212. And it says this, whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens, foreign nationals, or any class of aliens, foreign nationals, into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may be, he may by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, 
suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem appropriate. That's the sentence right there. So the first part requires the president find that an entry of any alien, so a specific individual, which presidents have used for years, by the way, or a class of individuals. Presidents have also used a class of individuals. Uh, let's say uh, people come from Iran after the revolution, which is what Carter did. Uh, and other presidents have likewise used this in a very limited way. Next, so he finds a class, he defines the class. And this, the interesting thing, this doesn't talk about all aliens. It's a class of aliens. So if we take the class and we compare it to the proclamation of April uh, 2020, what is the class of people? Um, you know, and that, I think, is the first failure of the proclamation, uh, is the proclamation uh, does not define a class of people. Now, we're going to get to a little bit further on in 212F, but we, I think we have to, if we're going to be textual, and we're going to take the statute at its face and say, as you read a statute, just principal statute for conduction, this first clause is the controlling clause of the, of the, of the statute. We look at the president finds the entry of any, any aliens, not all aliens, all's not there, or any class of aliens as part of this. Look at that, I didn't turn my do not disturb on. Um, now, what did the president find? So the president in the proclamation uh, said this uh, in regards to, um, I have determined that without intervention, the United States potential basis of protracted economic recovery. Excess labor supply affects all workers. All right, and that's, that's where we get that. Furthermore, lawful permanent residents, once admitted, are granted open market employment authorizations, allowing them immediately for people to almost any job in the economy. There was no way to protect already disadvantaged, unemployed persons. So where is the class? So his, I, I guess he's going to argue, I have determined that entry during the next 60 days of certain aliens as immigrants... Well, certain aliens. This is he's barring every every alien except for a limited few. So I think the proclamation can first be attacked on the issue of any aliens or class of aliens. I don't think he's actually defined them appropriately by by that. Now, again, we're going to go to Justice Roberts in a second uh, and how he reviews the statute. The next says would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. Um, here he's arguing that bringing in people, human beings, that they will only take jobs. Now, we know that that's not true um, uh, um, in, in, in any economic study. Uh, Yale had a, had a really great um, um, article that came out back in March uh, 2017 in a series of studies that showed, contrary to, to the rhetoric, immigration continues to economic growth and the expansion of the economic market, the expansion. Uh, a recent study, you know, we all know what a unicorn is, right? A unicorn is like these uh, uh, people that, things that do uh, highly successful, fast-growing startups. That's kind of a unicorn. A recent study found that half of the unicorns in the U.S. owe their existence to immigrants. Um, conducted by the National Foundation for American Policy, they determined that 44 
Out of 87 privately held companies valued at more than $1 billion, had at least one immigrant founder. It further estimated that each of these immigrant-founded companies created 760 jobs. So we know that immigrants, particularly immigrants that come in as immigrants, don't take jobs. They create jobs. Uh, and it's a net economic contributor. And there are, I mean, there's countless studies uh, that... that uh, say this over and over and over again. Uh, that was in 2017. Here's in 2018. Another study by Walter Ewing, uh, and again from the National Federation of Recognition, that immigrants have no negative effect on the unemployment rate or labor force participation of native-born Americans. None. I mean, the factual basis, uh, you know, the president can make a determination, but his determination is not without challenge. And there is no economic evidence, none, in the modern in the last 30 years, you will find no economic evidence that immigrants actually cost Americans jobs. Now, in, overall, you will see, well, this immigrant replaced that immigrant, this immigrant replaced that worker. All right, that's an employment decision by the employer that goes to the conditions of employment of non-immigrants. Uh, but I can tell you from my own practical experience uh, is I have a parade of U.S. employers coming here, even now, saying, I still can't get U.S. workers to do X job. I want to see if I can help Raul or Maria. And that's, that's just where em American employers are. But even more so, if we look at going, let's go back to 2012, another a study uh, that there is no correlation, zero correlation, between immigration and unemployment. If immigrants took jobs away from large numbers of native-born workers, one would expect to find high unemployment rates in those parts of the country with the largest number of immigrants, especially immigrants who are recently arriving. And back in 2012, we're in 2012, this is still during the, the recession recovery that we had, that there was starting in 09, no correlation between no correlation between the size of the farm-born population and the African-American employment rate in the U.S. in 2009. And little apparent relationship between recent immigration unemployment rates in 2008. Uh, and in fact, the studies routinely show over and over again that immigrants create jobs as consumers and as entrepreneurs. Immigrants, do you know, are more likely than natives to start their own business? Uh, twice as likely to start a business each month than were native-born Americans back in 2010. States with the greater number of temporary workers in the H-1B program for skilled workers and the H-2B program for less skilled non-agricultural workers had higher unemployment, I mean higher unemployment, among U.S. natives. Specifically, the addition of 100 H-1B workers was associated with an additional 183 jobs for native-born workers, while the addition of 100 H-2B workers was associated with the additional 464 jobs for native-born workers. You know, this is not made-up stuff. These are, these are facts. These are facts that, that the president in the proclamation literally lies about. Um, and uh, he, he says here, we must be mindful of the impact of foreign workers on the labor market, 
particularly in an environment of high domestic unemployment and depressed demand for labor. Well, what is the solution for depressed demand for labor? More businesses, more people that create businesses who are immigrants. They're, and you can tell this is written by the anti-nativist, anti-immigrant, xenophobic uh, right. They, they just have this idea that doesn't, that doesn't stand up to any economic theory that immigrants hurt people. And they don't. They don't hurt economics. They create economic bounty. So let's go back to 212 again, 212F. So we've already seen <laughs> that the proclamation itself is uh, probably too broad uh, in that it doesn't specifically identify any alien, specific alien, or any class of aliens. It's identifying all aliens. And keep in mind, we'll talk about what later is going to do, too. And detrimental to the interests of the United States. Immigrants aren't detrimental to the interests of the United States. This, this provision was clearly drafted back in 1952 with the idea that the president could keep communists out. That, that's, that's what this is about. And now it's being substantially um, detrimentally used against immigrants as opposed to using it to help America. Um, so he may by proclamation, here's this proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, uh, this is this particular proclamation <clears throat> that doesn't appear to, uh, to have an end. Um, uh, it had a start date, well, 60 days, expired 60 days, effective date, continue as necessary. So it doesn't have an end, all right? No later than 50 days from the effective date shall in consultation recommend or modify this proclamation. I don't even know what that means. Um, um, so uh, I guess 50 days, 10 days before it ends, they could say, here's how you should modify this proclamation. So this proclamation is in effect for the rest of the Trump presidency unless it is struck down in federal court. Now, uh, it could suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants. Now, Trump's going to argue that the first clause, that aliens detrimental to the United States, does not modify, does not, uh, that's like a, I find that, okay? That's a, he can do whatever he wants in that regard. I can suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose any restrictions I want. So, Justice Roberts in this uh, says this, quote, now by its terms, section 212F exudes deference to the president in every clause. It's a grants and discretion to decide whether and when to suspend entry, whose entry to suspend, for how long, and on one condition. And then he concludes that the Muslim ban falls within this sweeping delegation. Um, the only prerequisite is the stat in the statute is the president finds the entry of the covered aliens, again, thinking about limitations, not the broad-based barrier we have here, would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. Uh, so Roberts goes on to talk about how the president's met that requirement in order a worldwide multi-agency reviews of every agency's company's compliance with information and risk assessments. Uh, issued a proclamation setting forth extensive findings describing how deficiencies in practice of select governments deprive the U.S. of reliable information. Proclamation is more detailed than any prior order issued under Section 212F. Um, 
whereas Reagan and Clinton explained the rationale in a few sentences, there was the 12 page documentation, the 12 page Muslim ban, unlike this proclamation, which is also only a couple of pages. So, argument here is well, this is more like the Clinton Reagan proclamation than it is uh, like uh, the Muslim ban. Um, so, we have to deal with the idea that Justice Roberts is going to find um, that this, Section 212, and 212F specifically, gives the president utter and complete authority. Now, I don't see that in here. What I, what I, what I see in here is that, the, him, the, the, that um, Roberts calling it a sweeping delegation uh, and that the, um, the president has uh, the ability, discretion to decide um, and the question then becomes, is that so broad that the president can bar every immigrant from coming into America? Wow. That, that clearly was not the intent of Congress. But of course, in the language of statutory construction, if you only look at the intent of Congress, if the statute itself is unclear. Uh, Roberts is avoiding looking at the intent of Congress uh, to look at just the language of the reading. Um, and uh, his, his reaction to the plaintiffs in the Hawaii case was that the president would not be able to suspend entry from a particular country in the event of an epidemic in that country, or even if the United States were on the brink of war with that country. Now, that's also not true, um, but this is... Um, uh, this is really uh, where the rubber will hit the road. Um, and as we, uh, as we move forward, I have a, a, one of my good friends, Jim Hacking, has a lawsuit pending uh, filed on behalf of, I think, a couple of dozen winners of the diversity lottery. Uh, as many of our listeners know, the diversity lottery is that lottery held every year for uh, individuals uh, from around the world to immigrate to America based on luck, <laughs> as we know, based on luck. And uh, those individuals um, uh, have to immigrate in the fiscal year in which they are chosen. So they only have till September 30th, 2020 to immigrate under the fiscal year uh, uh, 2020 lottery. And if they don't, they lose. They're out of luck. And so uh, Jim has filed a lawsuit on the We're going to come back in just a second. We're going to take a look at that lawsuit and uh, Jim's arguments and uh, let you know where things stand in the fight against the presidential proclamation on, uh, uh, on barring legal immigrants to America. We'll be right back on the Immigration Hour. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. The show's Charles Cook again. I mean, for you, I didn't go away, but for me, I did. Uh, I wanted to touch on the complaint filed by uh, Jim Hacking, an extraordinary uh, immigration lawyer based out of St. Louis, and he filed lawsuit on uh, March. Uh, in um, uh, he filed an amended complaint in this particular case uh, after the president's lawsuit was filed. Uh, it's sitting with Judge Mehta in the D.C. District, which is always a good place to to put cases. So he filed this on April 27th, five after the president's order. And uh, he's done a great job in his First Amendment complaint talking about uh, the impermissible rewrite 
of federal immigration law by the presidential fiat. This, I think, is the best possible approach to attacking this proclamation. Um, uh, now, Jim uh, goes through in his complaint and uh, really goes directly to the issue about whether or not the president is actually properly using 212F of the Immigration Nationality Act. Um, and it is, uh, as we talked about earlier in this podcast, it's unprecedented to include the entire world. So he's not focused on people from a specific country, which is how it's always been used. Even he used that specifically in the past, but people from every country in the world and attacking categories of people. It has never been used like that in the past. Um, and uh, Jim said this uh, when he when he when he looking at the Supreme Court's decision in Hawaii, in Trump versus Hawaii, he said this, quote, the court took pains to note, for example, that the Muslim ban, quote, supports Congress's individualized approach for determining inadmissibility, close quote, quote, because it was intended to, quote, promote the effectiveness of the consular vetting process by helping to ensure the availability of sufficient information to assess a visa applicant's admissibility. Now, Jim is directly right. I mean, this is... Uh, when when they looked at that, now Roberts had a very very broad based view of it, but, but other opinions said, look, th- it was okay because it was individualized, and there's a waiver available, and people will be able to get around this ban, and it's not. But you see, that's completely different from this ban. That's just bam. It's just a ban. You're just not coming uh, because America needs jobs, and you're going to take our jobs. And as we pointed out, that's. Facially, factually, and historically, not true. Jim goes on in his brief, uh, in his in his complaint, and says that quote: "It is also observed that previous suspensions under 212 often involved foreign policy judgment. Such suspensions, uh, internal quote, broadly suspended entry on the basis of nationality due to ongoing diplomatic disputes." Uh, others were also internal quotes were directed at subsets of aliens from countries at issue. But as a general rule, the court found the presidents repeatedly spent an entry to retaliate for conduct by their governments that conflicted with foreign policy interests. Um, within this context here, um, uh, that's not what the president's done. This is not foreign policy interests. This is domestic interests. Now, again, this goes to uh, whether this is, again, the Supreme, this is the Trump administration pushing the envelope. How far can a president go? Is the president God in our system? Because that's what his position is. The president is God in our position. Now, it's funny that we're making this podcast today on the same day the oral argument is being heard in the Supreme Court on whether Trump has to turn his tax returns over and can be investigated while he's president. It's interesting timing, I guess. Um, Jim also points out that the Supreme Court highlighted the language in the Muslim ban, noting the administration had, quote, crafted country-specific restrictions that would be most likely to encourage cooperation given each country's distinct circumstances, comma, while securing the nation until such a time as improvements occur. Um, This is, uh, I think Jim attacks uh, the proclamation on the exact right grounds, and, and that is that the Supreme Court upheld the Muslim ban because of how specific it was. And even we noted, we noted earlier in the podcast that it was a 12-page order that he came out with. 
And this we're back to the one or two or three page order uh, that that the that Roberts himself kind of poo pooed in the Reagan and Clinton administration. Uh, and so I think Jim's uh, Jim's complaint here really does have a good solid factual basis, and one which we have a um, a really good chance of prevailing on going forward, especially since he's got an excellent district court judge with an open mind to look at these things. Uh, I'm really interested to see the government's uh, response to this. Everybody's been served. Uh, The government has until uh, June, uh, around about June 27th or so, 28th, to get back to to, uh, Jim and the court with their answer to this complaint. Uh, But Jim really has done a great and terrific job here. And I just want to kudos to you, Jim, one, for, for doing this so well. And second, and perhaps more importantly, doing it quickly and standing up when others have not. I mean, I understand that uh, uh, a lawsuit was filed or amended in the health care proclamation to try to stop this, and the court kind of tossed it. I think this particular lawsuit has the merits that we need to push forward on really telling a president, yes, you have authority to keep us safe, but you don't have the authority to rewrite and destroy the current immigration system. I mean, there are employees and employers have sponsored and shown there are no qualified workers for those jobs waiting abroad to come in the United States. And now they can't come in unless they're wealthy. Get that, unless they're wealthy, unless they're EB-5 applicants. Um, and uh, it, is, uh, uh, it is these kind of attacks that I think is important. Jim points out that this suspension for this proclamation is not based on national security grounds. Uh, there is not extensive findings uh, with this uh, with this proclamation. Um, it is not based on fact, uh, and we talked about that earlier in our podcast. There's no facts that support this in regards to uh, foreign nationals taking jobs from U.S. workers. Um, it does not protect limited State Department resources. Um, and uh, Jim really hits all these high points. And more importantly, I think the last thing that Jim that Jim touches on is the proclamation uh, rewrites federal immigration law. Congress specifically rejected this when they rejected Trump's offer for DACA by saying to to stop legal immigration for families. Um, And I think that uh, that particular message uh, that 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 Congress did not see uh, the need nor the desire to stop legal immigration um, uh, and which Trump has done, I think that goes strongly against the president. Plus, of course, is you know, decades of racist remarks uh, against immigrants uh, going back to uh, the time he kicked uh, people out of uh, that he didn't pay foreign nationals for for, for uh, tearing down uh, the the building that was on the property he built, uh, Trump Tower. So I just wanted to point out that there is a tax, there is there is activity on pushing forward on getting rid of uh, this proclamation on challenging it in court. We always need more challenges. We need more broad Beth's challenges. We need people to write amicuses for this, for Jim, when it comes up for uh, summary judgment or when a hearing comes up for uh, a, a, a um, TRO um, and, um, or a preliminary injunction request. Uh, but if you want to reach out to Jim, please do so. I think he's a brilliant lawyer. I think he's got the right tactic. I think suing the government on this stuff is key. Uh, And it's the only way we're going to prevail other than voting. 
It's been great speaking to you this week. We'll try to get back on a regular podcast schedule now that uh, we're kind of getting back to work. I mean, we do live in Georgia here, if we can get back to work, right? Um, but it's, uh, this is something that uh, uh, nobody in my 30 years, my 30 years of practice of immigration law would think that a president would think that he could stop legal immigration by fiat, by just using a made-up reason without valid basis or valid findings to make that happen. I, I, you know, and I think the bigger thing here is we understand uh, that uh, people are damaged by this. People are going to be hurt by this, particularly those whose parents need to come. And, and you know, we believe that family is the most important thing in America, right? Keeping families apart, how's that good? Um, not letting lottery, diversity lottery owners in, how is that good? Um, people will be harmed, and, and therefore we have to move forward with this fight. Again, this show is Charles Cook here on the Immigration Hour um, at Cook Baxter Immigration. Great to be with you. We'll be back to you next week uh, with more on the Immigration Hour. Bye-bye.